Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing today? It is a joy to be with you here on this last message of To Be Continued, uh, the last six. And uh, as you know, yes, it is live camp this past weekend at all campuses, so it's always a special treat uh, for me to be with you. I hope you got a chance to get in on some of the messages in the last six series. We uh, talked leading up to Easter weekend, some of the six key moments uh, in Jesus' life as he was getting ready to lay down his life uh, for us and redeem us, and ultimately culminating, of of course, an Easter uh, weekend and his resurrection from the dead and his victory over sin and death. So definitely, if you haven't heard those, uh, you can go to jfc.org, download the podcast. Then Pastor John last weekend uh, taught the first part of To Be Continued and looked at you know the Apostle Peter, his life. Obviously, no big secret, kind of the guy that stuck his foot in his mouth more than one time. Uh, at a low point in, in his story, denied Jesus three times. But then we fast forward a few days, a little over a month, and we see him standing in the power of God in the boldness of the Holy Spirit, not caring who hears it, not caring who knows it, boldly proclaiming that he is not only a friend of Jesus, but a servant of Jesus, and that he is the Lord and Christ. And we kind of talked about, wow, what was the game changer? What was the difference maker for that? So again, I encourage you, if you haven't heard that message, um, definitely listen to that online. But I wanted to kind of pick up where Pastor John left off last weekend and uh, talk about um, something that I think you'll agree with me. See if you're this way. With me leading up to an event like Easter, I spend a fair amount of time thinking about what Jesus saved us from. Anybody? I hope you're not just thinking about the Easter bunny and chocolate, although it's okay to think about that too, a little. But um, I hope that at some point we were thinking about, wow, you know what? Jesus saved me from my sin. Jesus died to save me from eternal punishment. Yeah? Is that a good thing? Anybody happy? You're not going to be in hell forever? I think this is an easy answer. I'm not sure. You're like, is this a trick question? No. We're hopefully you're delighted of what Jesus saved us from, our own punishment, the things that stood between us and God, our own sinful nature that kind of kept us from living in peace and joy and victory. And he absolutely did those things. He saved us from that. But here's the deal. There's another part of what God has done in saving us that perhaps we forget sometimes, or we don't always remember is just as much a part of his story. And that is that Jesus did not only save us from some very horrible things, but he saved us for some very, very amazing things. And that's just as exciting and just as powerful as the things he saved us from. Would you agree? I can tell some of you are still a little confused. So let me help illustrate this by this. Um, This particular item, Exhibit A, if you can label this. Uh, I think it's a rooster because I think it used to have kind of like a mohawk. I don't know if you can see that. No longer really there. It's more of a shaved cut. Um, It used to have two legs. It no longer does. It's very sad. Um, It used to have a beak and probably a couple of eyeballs. I don't know if you can see there right now, but there's just a hole where that once was, and I can see right into his mind what he's thinking. Right there, it's not pretty. Anyway, this little fella has had, has seen better days, has had a rough, rough life. But in some way, uh, maybe better late than never, barely, I think I saved him from total destruction, 
from our two little dogs, Lucy and Dixie, who evidently don't share the same vision that we had once upon a time where it was like, oh, we'll put this little rooster, you know, in the little doggy bed and the little doggy bed will just be nestled up next to it like, oh, 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 you know, and, and just it'll be just happy sort of lifelong friendship, right? They had a different idea of how to have fun with little rooster. But in some way, I saved little rooster from total destruction. Would you agree? Now, here's the thing about Little Rooster. I don't even know his name. See, it's part of my story. I don't even know his name. Why? Because I don't really have a relationship with Little Rooster. I don't really have a plan for Little Rooster. I don't need him to be in bed with us. I already have two dogs who sleep in the bed with us, taking our pillows, and we're like, could I use a little bit of the bed, please? You know, so I don't need him to be in bed with us. I don't need to take him to work with me and put him on my desk. I don't really have room. Um, Just quite honestly, I have no need for him no delight in him particularly. I mean, yes, all things being equal, I'm not a sadist. I'd rather save him from destruction. But you know what I'm saying? I don't have really a plan. I don't have, I don't delight in him. I don't desire his company on a day-to-day basis. Now, let's put that over here for a second. Exhibit B. I don't know if you know what this is. Anybody, any guesses? Um, See if anybody can read this. Can you read this? Read it out loud, please. Ooh. Italian dry salami. Just even saying it puts a smile on my face. (laughs) Even reading Busetto, the brand, makes me want to shout hallelujah in the house up in here. Why? Because this brings me great pleasure and great delight. I'm not even kidding you. Yes, I was born and raised in Spain. I'm a European at heart. And I'm telling you what, there's nothing like this. And even now that I've been kind of trying to watch my calories and, you know, get a little more exercise and all that, but I still budget for a couple slices of salami now and then. If I ever get to the end of the day where it's like, you know, I've, I've walked for, you know, three or four kilometers and I've, and I've run for a bunch and, you know, burned a bunch of calories, then it's like, I've got 200 calories left. Now, what some people do is go, sweet, that's all the quicker that I'll lose some weight and, you know, go to bed. Not this guy. I'm like, 200 calories, how much is that divided by the serving size? That's 3.2 slices of salami. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. It's going to be a good night tonight. Here's the deal. I have saved this from destruction, or at least from consumption, from my children. I don't keep this in our refrigerator meat drawer where the other cheaper refrigerator meats go. No, I keep this in a very... I'm not even going to tell you where I keep this because here's why. My kids will probably listen to this podcast and they may find out. I don't want them to find out. I keep this in a very special place, out of easy line of sight. I may even put like a stack of napkins in front of it so that it's very nestled, exactly sort of hidden so that my kids don't come and grab this for their lunch meat because I am saving this not only from destruction or in this case consumption, but guess what? I am saving this for something, that something being me. I love Bustello dry salami. And so I love this. It brings me delight. It brings me joy. It brings me pleasure. I have a plan for this. I don't have a plan for little Mr. Rooster. He was saved from something, but not necessarily saved for something. Does that make sense? Mr. Busetto has been saved from something and for something. Here's the deal. I'm here to tell you, and you didn't know you were coming to church to hear this today, that God feels about you like I feel about my salami. Yeah, I kind of just called you a salami, and you just sat through it, and you're okay with it. No, here's the deal. God has not just saved us from sin, from death, from punishment, from destruction, but he has saved us for something. 
for himself, for his delight, for his pleasure, and, and for himself. And so I want to take a look at a couple simple words that I think kind of flesh out what does that look like in our lives. The fact that we've been saved for something. And the first word that I want to talk about is we've been saved for engagement with Jesus. We've been saved for engagement with Jesus. Now, I understand engagement is a, uh, is a loaded word. It can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. If I ask uh, a young 20-something young lady, like the one that was sitting on the front row last night next to my firstborn son, who happens to be his girlfriend, and, you know, they've been uh, going together for quite some time. I think that's really an old phrase, going together. Anyway, uh, They've been, whatever, seeing each other and whatnot. Um, but, I, you know, they're getting at that place in the relationship where who knows? You know what I'm saying? It, it could escalate to the next level. And so I think if I asked her what does engagement mean, she would probably gladly reply, maybe it means something like a ring. Maybe like a diamond. Maybe a promise of even deeper and richer aspects of the relationship and a vow to come someday in the future, right? So that can be part of engagement. The Bible obviously tells us we collectively as a church are the bride of Christ. He's the bridegroom. There's an engagement going on there. So that's part of it. But what about this? What about if I asked a public speaker, what is an engagement? They might say, well, it's, it's an appointment. It's, a, it's a, a venue. It's a place that I'm scheduled to deliver a speech. Absolutely. That would be true as well. That would be correct. What about this? If I asked a mechanic, hey, what does engaging mean to you? You know, if the motor's engaging and the clutch is engaged, they would say, well, it means that it's, it's connecting, it's making contact, it's, it's fitting together, it's, it's working together the way that it should. Okay, also true. Would you agree? Yes. What about a soldier? If I talk about engagement, I say, hey, what about, let's talk about the rules of engagement. They might say, Wow. You know, all of a sudden, it's like, it gets serious. Like, that's no laughing matter. That's when you've come in contact with the enemy. You better be alert. You better be on your game. You better be watching what's coming over that hill. And you better know what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, how you're going to do it to walk out of there alive and hopefully with a victory. But here's the deal. I believe as we look at all those different definitions of what engagement can mean, I think there's some commonalities in them. I think all of those different definitions convey connection to each other, two different things coming into connection. They convey a commitment in one way or another to each other, would you agree? What about this? They demand focus and attention. You can't be engaged with something or someone and not be giving it your focus and attention. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Jesus saved you for engagement. He wants your attention and my attention. How do I know this? Wow. A lot of different ways, but here's one. I've, as I mentioned, tried to, you know, I've been a faithful and committed couch potato for 42 years, and I'm like, you know what? I, I just let's see what the other side, you know, lives like. And uh, I don't know. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna to, to go with that theme for for a while anyway. But here's the deal. I was running uh, down in Hannah's uh, Ranch, kind of close to where we live, uh, and there's a school there where my kids go to school, and, and I kind of went on a trail, and then it kind of split off out west, and I thought, well, this trail surely just goes like maybe half a mile, and there'll be a little entrance point back to Wildcat Reserve, you know? So I was like, okay, I'll just go this. So I start, and it's like I was kind of tired by then, maybe run three kilometers, and I was like, oh, good, it's downhill. Oh, this is nice. Downhill is good. And so all of a sudden, but here's what happened. 
happened? There was no entry point back north where I needed to get to the main road. And all of a sudden, it started going south and west, but it was still going downhill. So I'm like, downhill is good. Downhill is good. Anyway, I started going farther and farther away from where my Jeep was parked and where I was supposed to get to. Before I knew it, I'd run 10 kilometers way out in the backcountry, somewhere beautiful terrain, though. And I came across these places where it was like I could see 70 miles of mountains, the snow caps, there was birds chirping next to me, there was bushes, there was lilacs, I was smelling, I was breathing in this fresh air. It was so amazing. And that right there tells me God wants my attention. God wants your attention. Psalm 19 talks about the glories in the heavens and all creation calling us. God saying, man, what do you think? Isn't this cool? Do you like it? He didn't just, you know, he could have created like a white box with padded, you know, walls. Here you go, I'm going to create Adam and Eve and put them in there and don't hurt yourselves. But he didn't do that, did he? Man, he created us in this world with all kinds of herbs and spices that we can taste and beautiful aromas that we can smell and, and, and views that just boggle our imagination. If you live here in Colorado, the sunsets and the sunrise, the cloud formations, it's, it's unbelievable. It's God, here's the deal. I believe God is trying to impress you. There, I said it out loud. We're like, no, no, God's too great for that. He doesn't care. I think he does care what you think and what I think. I think he made all of this and put us in the middle of it to go, what do you think? I just want you to to see, yes, how glorious I am and also to be able to enjoy it with me. And we can enjoy it together. He wants our attention. He wants us to engage him with body, soul, and spirit. Every part of us, every sense, every fiber of our being be present to him, to his creative prowess, to his mercy and his grace, his compassion, to his delight and friendship with us. If we look at Acts chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says this, when they arrived... They went upstairs to the room where they were staying, speaking of the upper room. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Did you hear that phrase? They all joined together constantly in prayer. Does that sound like some people who truly understand that Jesus and the Father delight in them being engaged, in them, in having their attention? I think it does. I think they realize that, and they made that their highest priority, to be engaged with God. And that's what I want to be like. Here's another thing. God is jealous for you. God is jealous For you, Zechariah 8, verse 2 says this, the Lord is greatly jealous. He burns with jealousy. Wow, sounds a little bit unsophisticated, doesn't it? Burn, that sounds very emotional, to burn with jealousy. That's how he feels about you and me. And here's the deal. I believe in our culture, we have put a negative connotation to jealousy, and and rightly so in some regards, because jealousy can be associated with insecurity. Would you agree? So if I go to work and every day is like, you know, my wife comes up, she's like, well, did, did any ladies come in? Did, did you wave at them? Did you say hi to them? Did you counsel any of them or, 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 or just even greet them on, you know, in the hallway? And she's all jealous. Probably be like, I don't know, honey, it's okay. Like, I love you. You can relax. Like, there's nobody for me but you, you know, and, and all that. We agree with that, right? There's an element where sometimes jealousy can come from insecurity 
and we just need to relax and need to know, you know, how valuable we are and, and, and the strength of the commitment and rest in that. But that's not, I don't think God is insecure, right? So if God says, I'm burning with jealousy, it's not flowing out of, oh, I don't know. I mean, I know I created everything in six days and I know I did all this, but maybe I'm just not, maybe there's another better God out there in another universe. No, are you kidding me? How ridiculous is that? He totally is the most confident person, knows who he is, knows that he's great, and yet so humble and loving and filled with joy and invitation for us to enjoy all of it with him. So it's not flowing out of insecurity, but it is this. Another definition says this, jealousy can be to be vigilant in maintaining or guarding something. To be vigilant in maintaining or guarding something. That's not out of insecurity. That's out of valuing something really special that you have. And I believe that kind of jealousy is perfectly acceptable. In fact, God models it for us. He says, what I have with you is so valuable to me. Man, I, I, if anything comes in the way, man, I want to I get that thing out. I, wanna, I don't want anything to compete with this. I don't want anything to pull your attention away from me. I don't want anything to keep you from engaging with me. Man, I want, I want everything to, to focus and bring us together. And he fights to protect that. That's how he feels about you and about me. And here's the deal. It's not like, you know, he just drove by at the right time, at the right place. He helped us change a tire, you know, metaphorically speaking. And all of a sudden it's like, I own you now. I helped you with your problem and saved you from sin. You belong to me. You know, give me your undivided attention every day. You can't have any fun. Just That's not what it's like. Here's the reality. We are created to worship him. We are created to engage with him. We are created to give him our attention, to open our mind, our body, our spirit, to just all the glorious ways that he wants to show us himself. Maybe it's in a conversation. Maybe it's in a moment with a child. Maybe it is a sunset or out on a jog. Maybe it's tasting some delicious food, whatever it might be. It's hearing a, a piece of music or experiencing worship here corporately. Maybe it's in a time of prayer, reading his word. But he created us for that. That is our purpose. That is our destiny. That is our, our DNA. It is inextricably a part of who we are. He's just trying to say, come back to that. Come back to me. I've saved you for engagement with me. What about this? The second thing that he's saved us for is availability. He saved us for availability. And I think that flows naturally out of the first one. If we are engaged with him, if he has our attention, if we realize how jealous he is over us, then I think naturally the, the response can be at least, and it hopefully will be, that we're like, God, yes, I'm available to you. I say yes to what you desire. I say yes to your vision for this relationship and for what you want to do and how you want me to live. And that's what that speaks of. Listen to this in Acts chapter 2, Verses 42 through 47, it says this, and this is, of course, the day of Pentecost. So just to give you a little context, day of Pentecost, they were up in the upper room praying, devoting themselves constantly to prayer, like we read about earlier. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came in. It was like a mighty roaring wind, and, and the place was shaken. The Holy Spirit filled them with power. They were speaking in tongues, some of the languages of the other peoples around, declaring the glories of God. Peter stands up. The same guy, remember, who had denied Jesus three times 40 days earlier, all of a sudden he stands up in great boldness like, listen you people, this Jesus whom you crucified, God has exalted him. He is both Lord and Christ. You need to repent and be saved. And then times of refreshing from God will come. 
whoo, what happened? That's a different guy. And all of a sudden, 3,000 people are added to their number that day. And then it goes into this concluding paragraph. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow, what an amazing retelling of the life that they had during those days. Man, they were selling properties to, to make room for each other, to be able to buy groceries for each other. They were, they were helping each other with medical needs. They were, they were breaking bread, which isn't just breaking bread. It's having meals together, offering hospitality to each other, getting to know each other. Wow. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are here like, uh-oh, I know where he's going with this. He's going to have us bring our mortgages next week. Bring them to Pastor DJ. You can trust me. Just lay them at my feet. I will decide what house needs to go to whom, and maybe if I want to live in one for a little while or enjoy the hot tub, you know. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? That obviously happened. There's, there's normative scriptures that tell us, like, what we need to do, and then there's narrative scriptures that just tell us, hey, here's something that happened, you know, take it at face value and go, cool, God did that. Doesn't mean it has to happen every time, but maybe we can learn something from that or be challenged or inspired. And I think that's what this passage is. It's just telling us, man, they loved each other so much that this is what happened. This is the extent that they went to. So don't worry, don't bring your mortgages next week, but here's the deal. Would you agree with me? Maybe we can learn something. Maybe there's some encouragement there for us about, wow, what does it mean to be community to each other, to be available to each other within the church. I don't know about you, but I'm sure, I do know about you. I do know, I'm sure there's somebody, maybe all of us, maybe a lot of us, in the room that have thought to yourselves, you know, this church thing is great and being saved from eternal hell and damnation and all that is awesome. Yes, I'm in, I'm good. But man, and I know that Jesus is coming back for us and that's great, but what about this in-between time? Like, is this all there is? Is this all there is? You know, I come for 75 minutes on a weekend, have some good donuts, have some great worship, have some, you know, great coffee, experience, you know, some good teaching. Man, is this all there is? Really? You know what? God would say, no, it isn't. It isn't all there is. Maybe you've longed for more. You've longed for deep friendship. You've longed to share your life with people who really care and who you feel you can be vulnerable with. Maybe you've longed to have somebody come alongside you and lift you up and carry your burdens. Or maybe you've thought, man, I could help somebody and carry somebody else's burdens, but I just don't see anybody reaching out for help. I don't even know where to begin. Maybe there's been times when you've needed physical healing in your body and maybe you didn't know who you could turn to to receive prayer. Or maybe you wanted to pray for someone but weren't sure how to do it. Maybe you needed counsel or encouragement, just a high five headed into an interview the following day when you've been unemployed for a long time. You know what? It's easy to get discouraged when we don't find those things in the four walls of the church, isn't it? It's easy to lose hope and go, well, I guess this is as good as it gets. Maybe this is just what it is. This is the Christian life. You know what? God's saying to you today, no, don't give up hope. No, look at my word. I have a richer, deeper life in community that's possible. And I know it's hard to keep believing when 
you know, we experience something and it's heartbreaking or we're disillusioned or disappointed. But I believe God's call to all of us through his word is, hey, he's calling us to be available in community, to put ourselves out there, to still believe and go, God, I know that it's, I'm not an island. I'm a part of a family. I'm a part of a church and I want to be available as you flow through me, as I engage with you. I want to be available to my brothers and sisters. Grow deeper. Grow in love. What can that look like? Well, man, you know, we've got different Bible studies. We've got different things going on. Um, that I would encourage you, step out, be bold, try things. Casually, have people over to your house or go out to eat afterwards, engage in a conversation. Take five extra minutes in the coffee bar before leaving and maybe make it a point to get to know one new person. What about this? You probably noticed on your seats, these wristbands this weekend, Life Day. You heard Pastor John talk about it. Man, it's part of a vision. It's not just, you know, hey, well, you know, I don't know. It, I'll just skip it, I guess. If there's, I mean, you know, I know some people may have other plans, and that's perfectly fine. There's no, no guilt and no shame in that. But man, if it's like, I don't know, I guess like either way, come. Here's what we're asking of you. If you decide to come and you're able to come, we want you to take this wristband with you today and then take one for each of the kids or other members of your family who will be attending with you. We've got them available in the coffee bar and, and outside. If not, no worries. Just leave it on the seat. It's no problem at all. But we're trying to gauge, you know, how many, we're hoping every single one of us can come together on May 24th. It's part of being available to each other. It's part of being family and being the body of Christ together. Do you agree? Um, what about this? What about being available um, out in the world. I think we see Peter uh, in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Uh, and he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, will I pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 was added to their number that day. Wow. Again, we talked about it a moment ago, but here's Peter out in the world, you know, he's engaged in community and in prayer and in relationship in the body of Christ, but then he's out there boldly proclaiming and living his life as a light in the darkness. Man, I, here's the deal. I am humbled at you guys in this regard because my life, ever since being a vocational Christian leader, seems to be, I, I, I do, it's easier for me to do the first one. It's easier for me to, to be uh, available within community because most of the people I know are Christians. It includes you guys, but it's a good thing. I, I'm glad I know you guys. But it's like, you know, my luck is, I'm like, that's it. I'm gonna find a person who needs to know about Jesus and I make up my mind and I go to Starbucks and I'm, the barista's there. I'm like, so, you know, Jesus loves you. They're like, I know, Pastor DJ. You know, I come to Castle Rock Campus. I'm like, ah, I can't find a non-believer even at Starbucks. You know, here's the deal. I'm so proud of you guys. Just even last night, I was hearing about a family, this happens almost every weekend, who had invited some neighbors and had been praying for them and had been just very gently, very naturally, not preachy, not overbearing, but just sowing seed and loving and engaging in relationship and just, just being witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus, of his love, of his goodness. All of a sudden, this couple has been coming the last couple of weeks and they said, man, we never had found a church that we like, just didn't feel connection. Man, we really are finding it here. Why? 
because people were available. Because people said, yeah, God, use us. You know, the little tagline, isn't it for the avalanche? You know, why not us? Why not us? Why not now? Why not here? Right? We read these powerful things that happen in Scripture, or we see things happening in other communities, other parts of the world, the miraculous signs and wonders, thousands coming to Jesus. Why not us, church? We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same Savior, Jesus. We have the same Father who believes in you and what he can do through you. And he's calling us to engage with him and also to be available in the church. The last thing I want to mention is just prayer. Wow, how simple that is. But wow, what a powerful way that we can be available to God. God may, you know, in what happens oftentimes is in those relationships, both in the church and in the world, we'll we'll come to know of situations and of heartache and of trouble and of problems. And we can then begin to take that to the Lord in prayer as God puts it in our heart. Maybe we're driving in the car and God brings someone to our mind. All of a sudden we can begin praying, lifting that person up. You'll never know the impact that your prayers can have when you simply say, yes, Lord, I'm available to you, God. If you want me to pray for somebody today, just put them on my heart. I promise to just be obedient. It doesn't mean you have to, you know, take seven hours and, oh, face east and like, oh, you know. You can just pray for them as you're, as you're going through life, but just lifting them up to the Lord. God will do the rest. Just be available. Here's the deal. You know what? I believe that when we're available, God makes it easy. Sometimes we look at people like our missionary Rich here, you know, Pastor Jonathan, others that are, that are, man, they're out there living their life for the gospel and reaching people that we can't imagine reaching. And it's like, how would I ever even, you know, it's kind of like me looking at the Brevorts, you know, and their marathons and half marathons. And I'm like, you know, a little 4K guy, like, ah, oh, they're the big guys. Look at those guys run. You know, it's almost like, how would I ever even, I don't even know how to even take a step in that direction. But here's the deal. It's one little teeny step at a time. We've got, in our fellowship right this morning, Brian and Lori Lindsay, sitting in the back by the coffee bar. They're getting ready to head out and be trained to be missionaries. And giving up their life here in America, here's the deal. A lot of missionaries, I've told you this because I is one, so I can say this. A lot of missionaries kind of like, wow. I'm really nerdy. I don't fit in America, so I'm going to find a place that thinks I'm really cool so they go like some other part of the world, you know what I'm saying, and, and, and do that. Uh, yes, you can make your own opinions about me. But anyway, it was my parents who decided to go on the mission field. The point being, sometimes it's misfits or sometimes people that are just malcontent or just whatever, trying to find greener pastures and whatever. No, the Lindsay's are people that have a great job, a great livelihood, kids in sports, doing their thing, you know, 3.2 pets, 2.7 cars, you know, they, they, they fit. They fit here. They're fun people. They're healthy people. They're lovely people. We would all feel very comfortable with them. Um, And I encourage you to get to know them if you haven't and and be a part of what they're doing. But in the midst of all that, they just, he went on a mission trip one year to Peru with me. All of a sudden, felt God tugging on his heart. But it was just a very simple, like, available. You know, like, okay, God, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I want to take my family back. So next summer, whenever it was, like, yeah. God, what do you want to do this summer? Okay, We'll go. And then, uh, you know, after that, oh, they need some helpers to help coordinate a family missions team. And, oh, yeah, you know, we're available. So all of a sudden, before you know it, here they are selling their home, preparing to go to YWAM, preparing to be trained to go who knows where and give their life for the gospel. But see, it happens not in one huge foul swoop, but in teeny little decisions of availability. Yes, Lord, today, God, I want to live for your glory. Yes, God, today I want to engage with you. Tell me what, if we will learn that, 
if we will learn what the Lindsays have learned and what they're practicing and others of you are already doing and just do it more and more and say, Jesus, here I am. Tell you what, God will rock this planet through you. God will shake your friends and family and people that need to come to know hope in Jesus. There's a scripture in Luke where Jesus was getting ready to uh, leave his disciples behind with the commission of making him known. And Luke chapter 21, verses 14 and 15 says this, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words of wisdom and none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict I think that's exactly what he's saying. Hey, I haven't called you to be a rocket scientist or a big theologian or a, you know, four score and seven years ago, please. You know, if we can make an orderly line so I can preach to you. No, he's called us just to be available one day at a time. God, let me be an instrument of your glory. Jesus, I want to engage with you today. I'll tell you what, if you'll do that, the Holy Spirit will do the rest. We'll see people come to know him. We'll see the miraculous happen all around us. We'll see the kingdom of God built up and it's going to be life-changing. Hey, would you stand to your feet today as the worship team comes forward? We're going to have an opportunity to respond to God. And uh, through our worship, I want to encourage you, first of all, absolutely, let's do just that. Let's worship Jesus. Let's engage with him. Let's say, God, open my eyes to see your beauty, to see your majesty, to see how great you are, to see your great love, your great compassion. He will do that for us. If you want to, during that time, step out and partake of communion, we'll have communion as we normally do up at the front. Maybe you want to say, Jesus, something's, I've allowed some things to kind of hinder a little bit, come between us maybe a little bit, or just simply, you know, distract me. God, I want to just renew my covenant with you as your bride, you're the bridegroom. And partake of communion, renew that this morning. If you want prayer, we've got people at the center of the back of the center aisle, that'd be happy to pray with you. You can make a place of prayer at our crosses and help yourself to communion there if you prefer to do that. If you want to just kneel or stand, let's just give Jesus all that we are. Say, God, I want to be back. I want to be part of your story. I want that to be continued to be real in my life today. Let's worship him.